with the rest of us. We're going to resume this series. We're in week three of Bold Prayers, which is a series that I'm having a lot of fun with. I mean, it's just a joy uh, for me to learn and grow in this area. I've mentioned the last couple of sessions together that I'm a prayer wimp. I'm a recovering prayer wimp. I'm trying to uh, get some bolder prayers and some more consistency in some of the ways that Jesus teaches us to pray. So as I'm learning, I'm hoping that you are learning too. Now, I want to begin today's session with just a question to get us thinking about uh, our lives a little bit. Have you ever had a deep yearning within you to make some kind of significant mark in life? We all yearn for significance, don't we? And yet, um, I don't know where each of you are at. I mean, there's a number of you that are real young. Maybe you even already have some ideas and dreams you're thinking about. You know, you have some heroes. Maybe some of you are uh, thinking of an athletic performer, you know. It's kind of an interesting combination of words, athletic performer. Uh, maybe it's not athletics. Maybe it's just a performer. And you've got these heroes that you're hoping someday you could be like so-and-so. Well, there's, uh, some of us are older, and we're thinking, well, I'm, I'm not going to be breaking any world records. Uh, and uh, I'm past that now. <laughs> not that I ever was of the caliber that I could or anything like that. But when we were kids, we used to dream, and we used to think about who we were going to become. And I'm hoping to kind of reestablish a little bit of the dreaming about significance in every one of our hearts as we uh, proceed forward today. Um, just to get us thinking along those lines, I'm going to put up three names and see if you recognize any of them. Here are the names. Anyone ever heard of Heidi Rosendahl, Mary Peters, Natalia <laughs> Anybody recognize those names? Uh, Dabrinska? All right. Nobody recognizes those names. Well, we're talking about, I mean, I mentioned earlier, just uh, world record breaking. Uh, all of these gals uh, were world record holders in the women's pentathlon. A little bit about Heidi Rosendahl. Um, she hold, held a record in the women's pentathlon, but she also holds another record. And the record is for the shortest duration of holding a record. She, she held the women's pentathlon record for exactly 1.12 seconds. That's how long she held the world record. She was in the last race, of course, and the way the pentathlon works is you have an accumulation of points. And she, when she finished her race, she broke the world record. But behind her came Mary Peters. And she's on that list also. And Mary Peters had more points than she had, even though she's behind Heidi in the race. And so when Mary Peters came in, she broke Heidi's record. Boom. So nobody's heard of Heidi Rosendahl. Interestingly enough, um, none of us in this room has heard of Mary Peters either. And she broke that record way back in 1972. Many of those records were broken and broken and broken and broken. So she didn't hold it very long either. And so Natalia Dabrinsky... Dabrinska, she's the current women's pentathlon world record holder. But we didn't really think much about that either in terms of significance. She's only held it since 2012. All right, let's try a few more names. On the screen, we have 
Bob Beeman, how many of you recognize that name? All right, maybe you don't remember what Bob Beeman did, but like you remember people talking about Bob Beeman. Well, if you do remember, he was the one who held the long jump record for the longest time. And the reality is he still holds the Olympic long jump record. He set the record in 1968. Okay, so it's been 44 years or something, you know, like just a long, long, I didn't do the math. Sorry, you can do the math. He's held the Olympic long jump record for a long, long time. However, he doesn't hold the world record anymore because Mike Powell in, I think it's 1992, broke the world record at the World Championship Games. And so Mike Powell holds the world record but he's in the 20-year 20, 20 range now, too, I believe, in terms of holding that record. Everybody remember Florence Griffith Joyner? All right, we've called her Flojo. All right, she has held the women's 100-meter record for a very long time. I didn't do the math and don't remember, but you can look her up. Longevity in holding that record. And then how about this one? Sneeze with me. Armilla Yeah, yeah, whatever. All right. She actually is the one that holds the record for the longest holding of a world record, okay? However, there's a lot of uh, suspicion about her record. She uh, had the women's world record uh, in the 800-meter run, and she broke the record by a gargantuan amount in 1983, and nobody has even come within a second of her and it's been 34 years. And so, but a lot of people are suspicious because before a certain date, I don't know when, the doping issue was not all that sophisticated in terms of their testing. And so that one has been called into question a lot. In fact, some people have been saying, hey, maybe we should uh, erase all the world records from before that such and such a date, which would be a, whoa, that would be a bummer for the ones that weren't doping, right, and held records. But anyway, so there's all those issues. The whole point for bringing out these war, world records ideas is not to inspire you to break a world record. I'm, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm past that, okay? I, because world records are really comparisons, right? Comparisons with everybody else in the entire history of the world. And past my prime, it's not going to happen in anything, Right? <laughs> Unless it's, uh, never mind. All right. So, but the issue here is the significance of the record due to the longevity that it's held. D don't you think that if a, there's a world record that holds a longer and longer and longer and longer and longer time that makes that record holder's achievement even more significant? I mean, if you think that. To me, that just rises the significance meter. So it makes me ask this question. If it relates to time, time will tell if a particular achievement has significance. What do you think of that comment? Time will tell if a particular... We might do something we think is so significant, but if nobody remembers or thinks it's significant in five minutes, maybe it's not that significant, right? Now... I want to introduce you to a little fellow by the name of Jimmy Hammond. Okay, that was me when I was little. Some of you still attempt to call me Jimmy. Just stay with Jim. That works for me. Um, so, as a little kid, um, I didn't have a hero that was an athlete. I didn't follow athletics in that way. I grew up in Japan, so the athletics I followed 
you know. I didn't really follow, but it's totally different. And then uh, performers, that wasn't really my hero stuff either, and I didn't dream in those directions. And then we moved back to the States, and I was kind of awkward and behind, and trying to fit into the athletics of my peers and all that kind of thing. It took me a while to even sort of, sort of fit in. And then what's really interesting is the heroes that I chose. I was still strange as a high school student, and as a senior in high school, I remember having a conversation with a close friend as we're talking about our dreams, about our future. I didn't know how to relate the story very well, so I chose a name as my hero, but really, uh, that wasn't even it, but that was the only public hero I could identify to help this person understand the, what I was kind of thinking about. The name I chose was Billy Graham. Now, you need to understand, I was terrified of public speaking. I have been terrified of public speaking ever since seventh grade. I still get the jitters and nerves and dry mouth and all kinds of internal turmoil every day on game day as it relates to public speaking. That is not what my hero goal was about. I went and watched Billy Graham live when I was a kid in Japan at a huge place. I watched him live as a teenager at a huge place. I watched him on TV repeatedly. What got me was all these people coming forward to step into a forever life with God. Here's the focus for today. I'm going to tell you the title in a moment. The focus, can we jump there? Lasting significance stands the test of time. Lasting significance stands the test of time. So what if, what if we begin to think in terms of we're not past our prime as it relates to really hitting our stride and making significant achievements because if we can raise the significance meter past the time of temporal time and shove it into eternity, make some kind of an eternal difference in somebody's life, Now, the significance meter goes up dramatically because we're talking about making a difference, making a mark on life that counts forever. All right, so our title today is Audaciously Bold Prayers. Audaciously Bold Prayers. When you start pushing that significance meter into forever, we're talking audaciously bold prayers. Prayers. All right. Now, if you grab your outline and take a look at the outline side where I'm preaching, we're going to be filling in blanks in a moment, but first flip it over to the other side. I'm not even going to tell you which verse. I tell you to read some verses in there if you're in small groups, but if you can do this on your own, in the NIV, one of those passages that I point you to talks about Jesus' invitation to us, almost prodding us to pray with shameless audacity. Shameless audacity, all right? So we're gonna talk about that today, how to have these audaciously bold prayers, and what does that look like? Now, I can't think of anything more significant to talk about today than any other topic. I mean, I'm talking about your lives What if every single one of us began to dream again about our own lives and how we could make a significant mark that pushes the significance meter into eternity? 
It could make an eternal difference for our own lives or an eternal difference for somebody else near us, for somebody we love. And these are the audacious, bold prayers that we're talking about. So if you want to go for a ride with me, here we go. Point number one, you might want to fill in this blank. Learn to ask for what God and you want. Learn to ask for what God and you want. Now, if you can back me up to where we should be, thank you. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's one catch to pushing the significance meter into eternity. There's one catch to make your life count for this much significance. It's the fact that Jesus said, sorry, you can't do this on your own. The only way you can push the significance meter into eternity is if you do it with me. Do you see that there? It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, he's not just talking about you can't do anything. I can say, Jesus, yes, watch this. I did it without you. I mean, I, I'm sort of, maybe you don't think like that. Watch this. I can do this without you, too. He says, no, 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 no. We're not talking about that. The context is, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Bearing fruit is the context. There is a productivity of our lives, and if you want produce that lasts, if you want produce that lasts into the forever mark, now we're talking significance here. Jesus is talking about spiritual productivity, spiritual fruit, fruit that lasts from your life. He says, if you want that, you want to push that significance meter into the past this life mode where it's remembered forever, the only way that that can happen is with me. Apart from me, it's not happening. The context of John 15 is that Jesus is, and he uses an illustration of fruit, he's the vine and we are the branches and there has to be a connection. Okay, commercial time out. Did you hear the announcement that next Sunday is Connect Life? Connect Life is our way of helping people make sure they have that connection with Christ. Okay, we teach about that connection with Christ. It's also our way of helping people connect with our church. When you connect with Christ and connect with the church, all of a sudden, what's taking place according to Jesus is his eternal kind of life starts to flow into you and through you in such a way that his eternal kind of life can touch somebody else next to you. And as a result, they are going to experience something that lasts forever. And it's not necessarily the only, it's not the only thing of getting them to heaven. No. There's all kinds of things that actually we'll be talking about in heaven. Eternally significant things. Anything that you do in the name of Jesus, through the power of Jesus, with the love of Jesus, because you like Jesus and he likes you and, and this stuff's just bubbling over onto somebody else, it will be the topic forever. We've pushed it into the significance meter past this life. All right? So that's why we say learn to ask for what God and you want. That's point number one. Now we want to jump into Psalms to illustrate that further. In Psalms 37.4, we have this. I, I like, like this promise. I think you do too. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Is this one that's underlined in your Bible? You know, it's like, hello. Hey, if I delight in the Lord, he gives me anything I want. 
That's what it seems like he's saying. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Doesn't that say to you anything you want? The desires of your heart? Boy, if there's ever a promise that everybody wants to claim, this is it. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions to dig at this promise a little bit. Here's the questions. Does the promise mean that if you take delight in the Lord, he will give you whatever you want? Or does this mean that if you take delight in the Lord, he gives you desires that start to match his desires? And then you start receiving answers to prayers that match these new godly desires. Think about that for a moment because I'm not necessarily saying that first way of thinking is completely wrong. It's just usually the way we think about it is generally wrong. Because if you really delight in the Lord, whatever you want will match with the Lord's wants. Okay? And how does that work? I think the way it works is you start taking delight in the Lord and you're spending time in his word and learning about his will and something shifts inside. Before you really took delight in the Lord, your whole life was kind of geared to the temporal now. Your whole desire structure is kind of built according to what you want to satisfy and the urges of the now that you really want and you kind of live around the pleasures and the little things that you're after for me, me, me. Things start to shift when you delight in the Lord, you start to see what he wants, and then you start to want that also. That is a pretty amazing process. I'm gonna summarize the last couple of sessions with the next slide here. We've talked about this, particularly remember those three pages we put on the screen here, if you're here with us. If you didn't see that, you can take a look online. Prayer is more than our list we ask God to approve of. Prayer is more than God's list that we're trying to discover. Prayer is a great adventure with God to do significant things together. That's what prayer is about. God wants your heart to shift and all of a sudden your desires and his desires begin to mesh together and your prayers are reflected by his desires and your desires and if you wanna see some pretty amazingly bold prayers come into fruition, start praying where his heart and your heart are starting to do some amazing things together. Point number two, where your desires meet God's desires is called vision. Where your desires start to meet God's desires is called vision. Now, vision is a word for what you can see into the future about your own life. Sometimes you can have a vision for an organization. But let's just talk about ourselves, our own lives. When I was dreaming in my senior year in high school and talking about the future, I was really kind of tracking more with my dad's life and how he devoted himself to making a difference in people's lives for eternal significance. For me, it kind of looked like this. I would go to a lot of Christian camps. I spent a lot of time listening to speakers that really inspired me and inspired others. And so I was inspired when people were actually stepping out of this world and sort of saying yes to future eternity. And I was inspired by that. But the speakers that I got to listen to, they were at little small camps. And so I not only got to listen to them speak, but I would play volleyball with them or softball or whatever and get to know them. Some of them were even in my own cabin. These were real people that loved the Lord Jesus that I wanted to be like. They were the heroes. But when I was talking about this to my friend, it was like, I'm not gonna get that, so I named Billy Graham. 
At that point, I had no idea where my life was going, but the seed of a vision is already planted. The, my desires it, were beginning to meet God's desires, and I was already taking steps in a way that I didn't know where it was going yet, but that was the vision that was growing in my life as a young man. Now, if you want that to take place in your life and your outline, the first thing you gotta do is seize your vision. Seize your vision. Now, how do you do that? How do you get a hold of this? Your desires are starting to mesh with God's desires, and how do you, how do you move forward in that? I'm gonna tell you a story of Joshua, an Old Testament hero, uh, who is the person that Moses was mentoring when Moses, of course, was a big Old Testament hero who helped the nation of Israel, who God chose to be his by a promise to Abraham, the, the forefather of all, all that nation, that years later, they were going to be a mighty nation. Well, they weren't a nation yet. They were in slavery. Moses brings them out of slavery, brings them all the way up to the promised land. Moses dies. He didn't actually get them into the promised land. Commissions Joshua. Now we're jumping into the story of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, we read this. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Okay, put your shoes, no, put your feet in the sandals of Joshua. There we go. Put your feet in the sandals of Joshua. Put your psyche into the ears. Here, I mean, this is a vision for him. He literally hears from God. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Whoo, now, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Whoo, wow. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And by the way, before you say, well, that's great. He was an Old Testament hero. God would never say that to you. To me, if you connect with Jesus Christ, God already has said that. Jesus Christ says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Here's my commission to you, go. And he's setting course for a vision of significance for you, okay? So this is stated for your life as well, but it's very specific in Joshua's life. Now let me give you some, well, it's background here, but we're moving forward in the story. We're gonna eventually jump to Joshua chapter 10, but first I gotta fill in some things. So as they enter into the promised land, one of the first cities they defeat is miraculously defeated. Jericho is defeated. All the other kingdoms are shuddering in their sandals. They're like, whoa, what just happened? There's a million people that just came into our land. They just totally destroyed Jericho, which was the, the fortified city with walls so thick. How did they defeat that city? It's the, and the story goes, the, the walls just collapsed. Their God is totally fighting for them. And so all the cities are freaking out. Then one of the cities with its king has this bright idea, and they send emissaries and lie to Joshua. They actually set it up really well. They take crusty bread and old stuff and make dust all over, and they look like they've traveled for months, and they say, we need to make an alliance with you. Boy, we're really noticing you and your God. Please make an alliance with us. Joshua blows it. He never checks in with God, never prays about it, never checks their, never does a background check. <laughs> and as a result, he enters into a covenant alliance with them, makes a promise that, yeah, 
He will protect them. Sounds good. And he makes a promise. He's confronted on it later. And this is really an important little piece of the story. He blew it because here's what happens in Joshua chapter 10. Five kings and their armies form an alliance together and they say, we're going to go after Gibeon. We're going to go after Gibeon because they made an alliance with the Israelites. We're not quite bold enough to go after the Israelites yet, but we're going to go after Gibeon. How dare they make an alliance with them? We're going to be trapped between Israel and Gibeon. Let's go after Gibeon. So five kingdoms go after the kingdom of Gibeon. Now, Joshua feels like he's being pulled into this because he has covenanted with them, promised with them, and made an alliance with them. Here's what I love about this story. Did you catch that Joshua blew it? Okay. Now he's got a problem. He's got to go to war for a country that he's supposed to have eliminated and gone to war with. Instead of going to war with them and eliminating them out of the promised land, dispossessing them like he should be doing, he's having to fight for them because of his covenant. But he says, a word is my word and my promise, so I'm going, I'm doing it. And what's really cool about this is that God actually will do a miracle for Joshua to fix the very problem that he created. You don't seem excited. Listen, (laughs) if you have made a big mistake in your life, your past life, and you're living with the stuff of your big mistake, isn't it cooler than the Bible? In some occasions, rather than just having to live with the big mistakes of your past life, that sometimes God will do miraculous stuff to fix the problem that you created? I like that. It's like, how cool is that? Now, I'm not saying that God does this every time because we have in Scripture, don't, God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. If you keep sowing to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption, etc., etc. So don't just go on a path and say, God, fix it. God, fix it. You know, No, 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 no. But I think it's so cool that when you are trying to have your heart's desires match with God's heart's desires, that sometimes he even fixes your mistakes. And so let's proceed forward in this story to figure out how that is done. So B on your outline, seize your vision. B, activate your faith. Okay? God says, okay, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to make this thing happen. That doesn't mean... I'm with you always. That doesn't mean, okay, we talked about audaciously bold prayers, so I'm just going to stay in my room and get on my knees, and I'm just going to pray. No, there are audaciously bold prayers, but as God moves for you, you are also moving for God. You're going to make your move in faith as God is replying to your prayers, and you're going to step forward, and he's going to step forward, and sometimes you don't know where this is all going because you're in this thing together, and you're discovering as you go. That's part of the beauty of prayer. Okay, so how does this work? Okay, just let's take it out of Joshua's realm and put it in our own realm. Just, here's just a little snapshot just to get an idea. Let's say you're without a job. Don't just sit in your room and pray. Yes, pray the bold, audacious prayer. But get on your machine and write up a resume. Come on and go knock on doors and send that resume out and do the hard work of it as you boldly pray. This is what it looked like for Joshua. Here's the next verse. Oh, wait. Let me go to the C first. C. Make your move. Make your move. You've prayed. Pray like God is listening. Make your move. Move. And you're moving based on 
Seizing the vision, the promise that God made for you. You're activating your faith based on the things that God wants. You're making your move. Here we go, Joshua 10, 8. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. I, am, I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. All right. That being said, here's what Joshua does. He makes his move. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. Okay, he's been awake all night. He's been marching with his army. He, who knows how long he went to prayer and strategy or whatever. This has been... Then he marches all night long to take the five kings by surprise, right? He made his move. Make sure, as you pray audaciously bold prayers, you make your move too, according to the faith that matches what God is desiring. So here's the next slide. Here, kind of putting that together in a sentence. Just because there is a promise doesn't mean there will not be a battle, right? And a lot of work on your part to enter into the reality of the promised experience. I mean, their battle was all night march. God fights for his people who are making a move based on faith in his promises. Let's proceed forward in the story. As they fled before Israel, who fled? The five kings and their armies fled. They showed up, ah, here's Israel. We're fighting Gibeon. Ah, oh, I didn't think they would show up this quick. There they are, and they're freaked by their God. So they take off. Now Joshua and his army has been battling all day as they're running away. And here's what we read. On the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. I mean, there's a lot of lessons here. One lesson is it's really good to be on God's side. All right? Don't be running. Uh, rather than run from God to kind of join God's side would be a good idea. But the other thing that's really great about this is, can you imagine, okay, you're battling all day long, and finally they're going. You've marched all night. You're really, really tired. And I don't think we really get this. Maybe some construction workers do, particularly back in the days when you used a hammer. You know, now you use the... Maybe you get trigger finger, but um, used to be that you all day long hammering, it's like... I can't get my hand open to get the hammer out of my grip. Imagine that with a sword fighting all day long. They come to the end of the day, and the enemy is fleeing from them. It is total victory. You're exhausted, but you're so excited, too. You're just whipped. If I were Joshua, here's what I would do. Come on, guys, let's celebrate the victory. We have won, because I'm a prayer wimp. As far as the world's view, we've won. They've scattered. We can't even catch up to them. Total defeat. We've, we've basically won the war for Gibeon. That is not what Joshua does. Joshua, instead, he says this audaciously Bold prayer. He's totally exhausted and he wants more. This is what we read. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, they're all fighting around him, they're within earshot, and he says out loud, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Aijalon. 
He wants the day to be longer so he can mop up and clean up the whole operation. If we just had more time, God, son, stand still. And God goes, did you just pray that? Cool. That is the best prayer I've heard in a long time. Audacious, but cool. Here's the next verse we read. So, the sun stood still, and the moon stopped. Now, some of you are having trouble with this. It's like, oh, come on. All right, let me just tell you how I'm processing this, okay? First, let's read the verse, because so otherwise I'll forget. Till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it was written in the book of Jashar, even way back when Joshua wrote, he knew people were going to have a hard time believing this, so he's quoting from another secular book about that longest day that everybody's going, what happened? Remember that day? It's because I prayed. I prayed, sun stand still. And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. And our scientific brains go, come on, you expect me to believe that? Are you serious? Okay, okay, okay. If that's you, let me just tell you why I believe it. I've studied history to see if Jesus was for real. Jesus is for real, according to secular writers as well as the biblical writers. I've studied history to see, is it possible that the apostles' description of his ministry could actually be fitting historical context? It does. Is it possible that the, what the apostles described, that Jesus really was crucified? Yes, the secular writers write about his crucifixion too. So then, was he risen from the dead? That would explain how Christianity exploded into massive growth immediately upon a criminal's execution. I've come to the conclusion that he really did rise from the dead, which means he really is the Son of God, which means what he had to say is true. And guess what? He believed the Old Testament is God's word and true. So if the Son of God rose from the dead and the Son of God believes that what Joshua wrote is real history that really happened, I believe it too. And you know what? Not only do I believe it, it's like, if we believe in God, who created the entire universe and spoke it into existence out of nothing, why would this be so hard? Sun, stand still. And God says, cool. He takes that whole section of the universe and goes, let me just hold it there. Go, go for it, go for it, go for it. And he does it in a way where all the other systems are kept going by his sustaining power, which our whole universe is sustained by him anyway. And so he sustains it outside of the cycles which he has created it where our whole, I, I guess, I guess our earth just stopped spinning on its axis for a whole day. I don't know what else he had to do to pull that off, but it's like God says, are you kidding me? New heavens and new earth. Light. Animals. It's like he can just think it and make it out of nothing. Standing still was no big deal to him. So, if you want to join me in believing that this really happened, you're invited. I believe it really happened. What does this mean for us? If Jesus really says to you and me, join me, join me in a life of significance, seriously, what would happen if this very week you began to delight yourself in me and you began to see some things in this world that I want to have happen, and you want to see them happen too, you start actually taking steps in the vision of 
joining together with me and doing significant things. What would happen if all of us were all of a sudden joining in that step of vision for each one of us? And Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ communicating through that connection that's inside of us says, pray this. God says, cool. I can't wait to hear some of those audacious prayers that we pray that God says, I'm going to do that one because you're praying precisely according to the promises and desires of my heart, and I'm going to see that happen, even though on the surface, everybody thinks that's impossible. What impossible things will you pray for? Where do we start? We start with delighting ourselves in the Lord, beginning to love the things that he loves, look at things the way he looks at them, a meeting with him so frequently that inside something starts to shift. He actually begins to give us new desires. We get weaned away from all those worldly desires and worldly stresses and worldly fears that are holding us down, and we begin to pray. Prayers that touch eternity. Some of us inside are so struggling We just need to let go of all the things we're hanging on to and say, God, God, I need you. I need to connect with you. It all starts with our connection. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for examples that are so exciting about people that trusted you and your promise. We want to enter into the stream of history which is really your story, his story, about how Jesus has got a plan. It's a plan that includes us. He wants to do life with us and do amazing things in his kingdom. Lord, we invite you to be king, king of our lives so that we can enter into your kingdom and see your kingdom power working even in the midst of our audaciously bold prayers. Help us to learn learn how to do life with you and pray prayers that we've never prayed before as you lead, because you lead, and because our desires are matching yours. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.